Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. In 1924, Witness Lee was dynamically saved by the Lord as a young man in his native China, and he promptly consecrated the rest of his life to the gospel. He co-labored with Watchman Nee for parts of the next three decades, and in 1962, Witness Lee was led by the Lord to come to the U.S. in California. During his 35 years of service to the Lord in America, he ministered in weekly meetings and weekend conferences, delivering thousands of spoken messages. He gave his last public conference in February 1997 at the age of 91. We're happy today to be able to bring you recorded excerpts from his speaking and encourage you to contact us if you have any further questions or comments. Just send email to radio at lsm.org. Now let's join today's show. The Gospel of Matthew is somewhat different than the other three. It chronicles many of the same events, but the arrangements of these events in Matthew has little to do with the actual sequence in which they happened. Rather, Matthew presents these cases carefully and strategically and has ordered them to portray a full revelation of God's kingdom. We will see the wonder of the divine arrangement in Matthew again today as Ron Kangas has joined us for another life study. Welcome back to the broadcast, Ron. Thank you for inviting me once again to fellowship over this very deep and weighty gospel of Matthew. We're going to cover a couple of stories today, Ron, from chapter 17. But as we alluded to here in the opening, we're going to see again today that the sequence, particularly in Matthew, is very meaningful. These two stories immediately follow one of the pivotal moments in the New Testament, the transfiguration of Jesus before three of his disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, as it's called. For the sake of the ones who weren't with us, Ron, when we had this message, maybe you could recap this for us a little. Recall that in chapter 16, the Lord Jesus was revealed by the Father to the disciples as the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he spoke concerning the church Then further he spoke concerning his death and resurrection. And at the end of that chapter, he referred to his coming in his kingdom and that some of those standing there would see him coming in his kingdom. Then in chapter 17, the Lord ascends the mount, which we understand to be Mount Hermon, with three of his disciples, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments were gleaming white. Well, what was this transfiguration? Well, intrinsically, it was the shining out of the divine element concealed within the Lord's humanity. And the shining out of God, or the expression of God, is glory. So here we see a manifestation of the concealed divinity of the God-man Jesus. And this is a marvelous display of the Lord's divinity shining through his God-soaked humanity. But the crucial point here is to see the connection between this and the kingdom. 
The Lord said they would see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Then what did they see? They saw the Lord in his transfiguration. This indicates that the transfiguration is a picture, a miniature of the coming manifestation of the kingdom in glory. Well, Ron, we want to look at three cases today that follow this event that you just described. I pulled some verses together here to try to give a brief picture in Matthew 17. And when they came to the crowd, a man came to him, falling on his knees before him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has epilepsy and suffers terribly. And I brought him here to your disciples, and they were not able to heal him. And Jesus answered and said, Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked it, and the demon came out from him, and the boy was healed from that hour. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and on the third day he will be raised. And they were greatly grieved. We've combined a couple of elements here that we're going to touch in this first portion, Ron. Let's join Witness Lee. In Matthew chapter 17, right after the transfiguration on the mount. Here is the record of a uh, demon-possessed person getting healed. Then after this healing, Lord Jesus revealed to the disciples the second time something concerning his crucifixion and his resurrection. Then following this, you have this matter, how to pay the uh, half shekel. After Peter, John, James, representing all the rest of the disciples, were in the transfiguration of the Lord. After that, why there still is the need of these three things? They are dealing with the uh, demon possession and revealing of the Lord's cross and resurrection. And eventually, the matter about paying a half shekel to the tax gatherers. What is the significance of these three things here? This time, the coming of the kingdom was not the coming of the kingdom in full. It is just a foretaste, a miniature. So, in the sphere of the Lord's transfiguration was glory. But outside of it, what is still there? Still the demon possession, the darkness, the power of darkness. Yes, uh, Peter, John, James, you all were in the transfiguration of uh, Christ. But this is not the full time of the transfiguration. Christ still needed to uh, pass through crucifixion and resurrection. The same thing today. My, when we go down the mountain, you have to realize that you still need to stay under the killing of the cross. Regardless how good, how excellent you are here on the mountaintop of the transfiguration. When you get back home, you still need to bear the cross. 
You still need to get into resurrection by bearing the cross. This is the connection of these little sections. Moran, this is an interesting sequence here. We have the great revelation given to Peter in chapter 16 of who Christ is and who he is, and then this brief manifestation of the kingdom that you described earlier. But immediately following these two high peaks, there's an encounter with demon possession, the appearance of the darkness, of the power of darkness, and then the Lord uh, once again revealing that he would be crucified and resurrected. Let's talk for a minute about the connection between all of these events. And as we talk, let's focus on um, the application of this for our experience. The record is very clear and the sequence significant. The Lord is transfigured. That uh, transfiguration we understand to be a miniature of the manifestation of the kingdom. But then that's followed by the case of demon possession. Why is that? Because the kingdom has not yet come in full. At the heart of the sphere of glory, there is nothing of the enemy. But on the border, on the outside, in the realm of darkness, the enemy is there still with his rebellion and his usurpation. So he needs to be cast out because the kingdom has not yet come in full. This is only a miniature. And then the way to get from the miniature to the manifestation is through the cross bringing us into resurrection, where we have both the reality and manifestation of the kingdom. So how does this apply to our experience? I would follow the message by pointing out the following, that sometimes in our personal experience of the Lord or in our corporate meeting together, we are really in the Spirit and we are, so to speak, in a position of ascendancy on a high mountain, and we have a glorious time with the Lord, beholding him, enjoying him, receiving his up-to-date speaking through his word in our spirit. And perhaps we would just like to remain here, but we can't because we're only at one stage of a long pathway into glory. So we should not be shocked to find that glorious experience followed shortly by an encounter with a demon, something of the enemy, something rebellious. Uh, We shouldn't be shocked at this. This is just the way it is. The glory is on the mountain, but the demon is in the valley, and eventually we must go from the top of the mountain to the depths of the valley. Then, once we have that experience, then we have a fresh speaking from the Lord through his word in our spirit concerning our need to bear the cross to be brought into resurrection. So never should we use or expect that a glorious experience will exempt us from the valley experiences with the enemy there confronting us or with the need for a further experience of the cross bringing us into resurrection. Rather, we should have a very clear view, even a governing vision, that there will be a cycle of glorious experiences followed by valley experiences and followed by a continuing walk of experiencing the cross to be brought into resurrection. If we don't have this view, we may be tempted to be kind of spiritual escapists, thinking we can just flee to the mountaintop or camp on the mountaintop and live there in glory. 
No, this is a miniature and this is a stopping point. We are on a journey. We are on a pathway. And we will not camp in glory until we have become the new Jerusalem. Ron, probably no one exemplifies this uh, mountaintop followed by valley experience more than our brother Peter. Uh, We're going to focus on him in these last two sections uh, about how what he had seen could be applied, and in his case, how it was not applied. This is the story of the temple tax collector who approaches Peter and asks him if his master pays the tax. And of course, Peter is quite bold and assures the tax collector, yes, we pay. And then he thinks, well, maybe I should check first. And the whole encounter is very revealing. Let's join Witness Lee as we get into it. After these two things, a third thing is mentioned. That is the matter of paying half shekel. What is this? This is a test to see whether we do know how to apply the revelation and the vision which we have concerning Christ. You know, in chapter 16, Peter received a clear vision from the Father in heaven that Christ was the Son of the living God. Okay, Peter, do you know how to apply this? To receive the revelation and to see the vision is one thing. But to apply the vision, to apply the revelation practically is another thing. My Peter meant be just like this. In chapter 16, I have received the revelation. Jesus is the son of the living God. While Peter was like this, the half-shekel collector comes. Peter, for you to receive the revelation, to see the vision that Jesus Christ is the son of God, this is wonderful. Well, let me check with you. Does your teacher pay the half shekel? Ah, Peter got exposed. He didn't know how to apply the revelation. And he didn't know how to apply the vision. Even in the vision, he heard, hear him. Peter, don't talk. On the mountain, Peter got such a lesson. He talked too fast. He talked too quick. He talked too uh, boldly. And he got rebuked. He got stopped. But now, again, he didn't have a bit of change. Does your teacher pay the half shekel? If he has learned the lesson, he would hesitate. No, I shouldn't say too much. I have to hear him. Let me go to him. Gentlemen, wait a while. I'll go to him and ask him whether... He pays or not. I have no right to say anything. I am neither Moses nor Elijah. I was too bold, too quick. Now I've learned the lesson. I shouldn't be that bold. I shouldn't be that quick. I must go to him. He didn't do this. (laughs) This test exposed Peter that he didn't learn any lesson. Well, Ron, once again, the Lord Jesus has used Peter, I think, to expose a condition that probably most of us likely share. 
In this case, Peter had seen a tremendous vision, even the revelation. He saw Christ. Then he saw Christ transfigured in his glory as a miniature of the manifestation of the kingdom. But still, when the test came, he could not apply the vision. To see is one thing, but to apply what we've seen is really something altogether different, isn't it? Uh, It surely is. And Chris, I appreciate that you were uh, very gentle in your opening remark here in saying that this exposes a condition that most of us likely share. But let me be a little stronger to say this exposes a condition that all of us definitely share. If we think that we're different from Peter, that we're better than Peter, that we're clearer than Peter, that we're wiser than Peter, I would say we don't know ourselves. Peter is our representative. The fact is, and, and this is amazing, that we get a revelation and it's so clear. Then even we get a vision that's quite marvelous. And then we get out of that visionary realm back into our practical situation. And then there comes a test. And then we respond to the test out of ourselves, out of our natural concept, at least temporarily forgetting what we saw. So that's just the way it is. And we need to be enlightened concerning ourselves that we are not going to pass the test any more than Peter did. And allow me to be more personal to say, I certainly haven't exceeded my brother Peter in this matter. Uh, I was so clear at Caesarea Philippi and so clear on Mount Hermon, but somehow you give me a couple poll tax gatherers asking me a question, then whoops, there comes some unwise answer. And that's followed by the Lord's faithful, direct, but also very gracious perfecting and discipling. So I'm on record as saying, Chris, this is a situation of us all, and I believe that sooner or later all of us will admit this. Well, I appreciate very much your uh, your gentle perfecting of me there, Ron. You're absolutely right. I know it's my condition as well. Well, let's see how the Lord perfected and helped Peter through this. It's very, very enlightening. Let's go back to Witness Lee. I must add a little point. You know, Peter always went to the Lord and gave the Lord some instruction. <laughs> this was Peter. You read it. After he said, yes, he came into the house. No doubt, his intention was to tell the Lord Jesus, pay. <laughs> Listen, the next sentence, Jesus anticipated. <laughs> Peter was quick and the Lord was sovereign. So the Lord didn't give him a chance to say anything. He was stopped on the mountaintop by the voice from the heavens. Now in the house, he was stopped by the Lord. Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? Do the kings on this earth collect tax from their sons or strangers? Peter answered, From strangers. Then the Lord Jesus said, Then the sons are free, indicating that he was free. He was a son. He was the son of God. So he uh, didn't need to pay this kind of 
Paul takes. But, the Lord said, in order not to stumble them, let us pay. But listen, when he told Peter, let's pay, let's pay, the Lord didn't put his hand into his pocket and pick out one shekel. Here's one shekel, go and pay. That's too easy for Peter. You know, too easy. The Lord Jesus would never give us such an easy lesson. Let's pay, Peter. You have to go to the sea. Fishing. When the first fish comes, you open his mouth, one shekel is there. This story implies a lot. It implies that Christ is the prophet. And the fish came. And it was the first fish. And it came with one shekel. So you see, he, the Lord Jesus, was the real Elijah. Hear him. This is the first implication. And the second implication is this. He is today's Moses. It is not up to you, not up to me to say yes or no. It is altogether up to him. When he says yes, that is what we have to do. When he says no, that is what we have not to do. He is our lawgiver today. He is not only the prophet, but also the lawgiver. He is not only our Elijah, but also our Moses. By this little story, I tell you, Peter was tested. He got to know how to apply the revelation and the vision. And also, he got to know what does it mean hear him. Well, Ron, on the Mount of Transfiguration, of course, Moses and Elijah were there representing the law and the prophets. But in taking them away, God was making a strong point about just what place Christ occupies in the divine economy. How do we see this point confirmed by the story we just heard? Well, recall what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. The Lord is transfigured. Moses and Elijah appear. Peter proposes building three tabernacles. Let's incorporate Christ along with the other two. Now we have three. God disagrees with this. He interrupts. Moses and Elijah disappear. The voice comes and says, This is my beloved son. I delight in him. Hear him. God is indicating in this that in the divine economy, my son is the center, my son is all-inclusive, my son is preeminent, my son is supreme. Hear him. So this is the vision. Now, in the incident with the poll tax, this very one, the Lord Jesus, today's Moses, today's Elijah, is there, except Peter in actuality and in practicality, doesn't realize it at first. But the Lord is today's Moses. He gives the word. Peter has no right, and we have no right, to say, yes, my Lord pays, or no, he doesn't pay. Rather, he should go to today's Moses Christ and ask, and echo what the Lord says. 
And the Lord, as today's Elijah, prophesied concerning the fish, and so it was. So the connection here is that Peter had to see an actual experience, what he realized in the vision, that Christ, the center of the divine economy, is today's Moses. He is today's Elijah. We should go to him and hear him and not presume to speak out from ourselves. Ron, how many times will we have to go through this lesson before we get it? I have no idea. I'm still in the process. Maybe when it's all over, I could answer the question. But by that time, you'll know the answer for yourself. <laughs> Thank you for your fellowship today. Very enjoyable and uh, another life study that's full of life and light. Amen. Let me point out quickly before we go, our toll-free number, it's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry. Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.